Welcome to Gays with Kids, a podcast about creating and raising families together. My name is David Dodge. I'm the executive editor of Gays with Kids. And today I'm bringing you the second in our series on the future of IVF and how trends in reproductive technology are impacting gay men in particular. So if you missed the first in our series from last week, go check it out. We had a great conversation with Dr. Guy Ringler of California Fertility Partners on the egg donor selection process and how it's been changing over the years. And today we're going to be discussing insurance, which uh, on its surface might not sound like all that sexy of a topic, but um, trust me, the minute you start doing your research on IVF and surrogacy, you will quickly become interested. And that is because surrogacy is expensive. It can cost gay men anywhere between $135,000 to $200,000 or more. But something that might eventually help bring down the cost of a surrogacy journey for gay men is if insurance plans begin to cover some of the costs associated with IVF just like they do for couples struggling with infertility who turn to reproductive technologies to start their families. So there's a big movement in the surrogacy world to get insurance plans to include same-sex couples and single people. And we're going to be talking today with Dr. Jennifer Hirschwood Citrin, a reproductive endocrinologist with the Fertility Centers of Illinois, about these advocacy efforts uh, and what it might mean if we start to see some of these plans uh, become more inclusive. So there's actually um, a bill currently pending in Illinois that's just waiting for the governor's signature that would require insurance plans to start covering some of the costs of IVF for same-sex couples and single people. And we'll talk with the doctor about that as well. So enjoy the discussion. And as always, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm very pleased to be joined now by Dr. Jennifer Hirschfeld Zitron of Fertility Centers of Illinois. Um, and today we are going to be discussing the topic of insurance in the world of IVF and surrogacy. If anyone that knows um, or is about to go through this process will soon find out it is a very important topic and one that we've seen a lot of uh, progress and change happen, especially just even recent in recent years. So actually, but before we get into some of those specifics, can you just kind of set the stage for us as to um, how insurance works in IVF and, and surrogacy and what you need insurance coverage for? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. Um, So when we think of insurance, I would think of it sort of in levels, sort of in tiers. So initially in the context of diagnostic testing, diagnostic testing both for the intended parents, potentially diagnostic testing for an egg donor, someone who is a known egg donor potentially versus an unknown egg donor. Same with the idea of a surrogate, someone who is known versus unknown. Beyond the testing piece in the world of insurance, there's greater coverage in the context of an egg donor when somebody is a known egg donor or known surrogate, there can sometimes be a component of their own insurance that could be used in the context then beyond the diagnostics, beyond the initial treatment to achieve a pregnancy, the idea of insurance for the pregnancy itself. So the way I view it is sort of the initial testing, the treatment that uses an egg donor and a surrogate, and then the pregnancy. And at all of those three points, there can be insurance that participates or doesn't. And for international parents that are pursuing surrogacy from abroad in the U.S., there's also additional insurance that they have to worry about, right? Yes, absolutely. There can be additional insurance in that context. Um, Agency fees are not something that would be under their umbrella of insurance. Legal fees is not something that would be under the umbrella of insurance. So there are other components of the cost that insurance would not participate in in any capacity. So I would say that uh, the LGBTQ community is very used to, you know, forming our families at the kind of at the cutting edge of of uh, law and, and science. Um, and so we often see laws and insurance providers and all these things playing catch up after, you know, to try to meet up with like how how we form our families. Um, so can you talk just over the course of your career, how you've seen 
insurance change? Like, what did insur- how did insurers approach this at the beginning of, uh, of your career? And, and how are they starting to approach it now that it's becoming more commonplace for people to form their families through IVF and surrogacy? In the context of same-sex male couples, I would say I am seeing a little bit more with certain insurers that some of the egg donor component can be covered. When we say egg donor component, I think what also is important to highlight is some insurances will cover an egg donor that we think of as a fresh donor, someone who's utilizing IVF medications, does a retrieval, all those eggs are then allotted to the intended parents versus someone who's done an IVF cycle in the past. Those eggs have been frozen, broken into groups or or cohorts that are then passed on to um, an intended parent. And what is interesting is insurance is more likely still to cover this idea of the traditional donor, someone who creates the medicines and those eggs are utilized at that time, versus the idea of frozen egg banks. Some insurers stand out, like Progeny and others, that are trying to incorporate coverage of egg banks. So even when we say egg donor, it can be more complicated. It's not all or nothing. Uh, you, you mentioned Illinois being a uh, state that mandates coverage. Can you talk about what it looks like in other states um, and kind of you know where that trend is, is headed? So I would say even in a state that mandates quote-unquote coverage, they use arbitrary guidelines of creating a family. So that's the challenge that we that we have had. That it, for infertility was defined as attempting to have a family for six months or a year. And so in Illinois, there is a movement to change that. So there was a law that passed in both the House and the Senate in the state of Illinois that now we're waiting for Governor Pritzker to hopefully sign that will change the definition of fertility. And that to me, that is the biggest change I have seen in my career, and that is incredibly exciting. Overall, nationally, we're really not seeing that, and we see such state-related coverage about so many things, in particular fertility care. Even when there's quote-unquote coverage in a traditional idea of creating a family, um, what we see is that coverage can include testing, coverage can have a maximum of costs, coverage can be encompassing of a series of IVF cycles, And so even when something is covered, it can look so different from plan to plan. Nationally, you are seeing more and more states have some degree of coverage. The challenge, though, is that could simply be your diagnostics, which is the least expensive piece. Or that could be one component of the egg donor. So there's layers of cost, and there's so many subtleties that I think this is an example where knowledge is so important. So before a couple even begins, I think a key thing to consider is to ask an employer to speak with the human resources to determine if coverage exists, what capacity it exists. Um, I've had a couple of examples of, of over the years, uh, patients advocating to their human resources for a broader and better coverage, and sometimes being able to utilize industry standard. So for instance, for uh, women interested in egg freezing, some would argue industry standards that that should be covered. And so it wasn't covered by one in the music industry, but a different company in the music industry. And she used that to change her HR plan. And yes, it took a year plus, but it's only benefited her, but potentially benefit those that follow. So the only way to truly make change is to, you know, is to speak up and say things. And in that realm, I will say, Resolve is an advocacy group that is focused on changing these policies. So it is exciting in Illinois that we have these laws that exist but it should be more widespread. And even the laws we have aren't enough. Uh, and it's oftentimes it 
your employer just might not be, they might be ignorant in the best possible sense of that term and that they're just not aware of, <laughs> of these ways of family building. You might be the first to approach them about this. They might be very willing to work with you on it. But like you're saying, it does take advocacy. Um, at Gays with Kids, we're trying to roll out more resources to help you through that. Resolve, again, is an amazing organization to do it as well. Um, but so let's talk a little bit more about this bill in Illinois, because I know there's a lot of people listening uh, in that might be curious about this in their own states. It is uh, a novel bill. I, I think we were both just saying that neither of us are aware of anything else like it in the country so far. Um, so what exactly will the bill do if it gets signed by the governor? So the biggest change that defines, it changes the definition of infertility. So infertility, infertility traditionally was designed, to, excuse me, defined as six months to a year of unprotected intercourse and inability to have a child. So obviously that excludes a large portion of, of individuals trying to have families. And, and that has been the challenge um, for single individuals, um, for same-sex male, for same-sex female couples, is how we define infertility. So that is the biggest change. And I actually think even if it doesn't, um, a financial piece is delayed, that really is important because it has created a divide that never should have been there. And so they changed that definition. So it includes beyond unprotected intercourse to a person's inability to reproduce, either as a single individual or with a partner without medical intervention. And so right there, that would include a same-sex male or same-sex female couple or a licensed physician's findings based on medical, sexual, reproductive history. And so it allows, in a sense, a physician to help create that definition. And so an absence of an ovary in a same-sex male couple is infertility, and it should be covered in the same way. And so they're changing the language, which ultimately I think is really, really important. Um, estimates, when you sort of heard both pros and cons of some of the representatives who sponsored the bill, felt that in Illinois, I think one uh, woman, Representative Croak, had said about 20% of insurance plans would be required then to follow this bill. So yes, it's exciting, but it's not all encompassing. The bill would still unfortunately not cover surrogacy. Um, it would be more for the diagnostic piece and potentially the egg donor piece. So it, it's by no means um, extensive, but it's a beginning. It's a beginning. And it, I guess just to put this in even more context, uh, we should, you know, so the overall cost of a surrogacy journey for a gay uh, man or couple uh, ranges anywhere, we're told, from like 135000 up to 200000 plus, depending on a ton of different um, aspects of this. And one of them can be the number of IVF cycles you need to uh, do. So what potentially could this save um, people with it? Again, it's going to be expensive with this law or without, but this, you know, every little bit can help. But uh, it, having insurance cover some aspects of your fertility journey, what kind of cost savings would that translate to for, for gay men? So if you would think of the, the IVF cycle for the egg donor is, let's say that's somewhere between fifteen dollars and $20,000 and the medicines are an additional five. So right there, that would be that twenty dollars to $25,000 theoretical cost savings. That's what it would save someone. So yes, if it's a two-third, one-third cost to create a family for gay men, the two-thirds cost is still the surrogate, even with this law that remains uncovered. Um, but there are individuals who have family members potentially or friends that a known surrogate could further reduce that cost. So if the egg donor is covered and someone has a surrogate that they know, um, that cost could, could potentially be better. And there's no question, these all these numbers are way too high. Um, but to your point, I, I do think every bit helps, but it, we're getting somewhere we still have a ways to go. That's how I would look at this. 
Absolutely. And I'll, I'll just say that for anyone that's new to this and just heard that price for the first time, and it's like there's a sticker shock that can come along when you start researching surrogates and you understand how expensive it is. But we at Gaze with Kids, working with partners like yourself, we're really trying to break down why it's so expensive so people can have a good understanding of it and ways that uh, you can offset those costs. And there are, uh, we can talk about some of those in a minute. There are a lot of different ways that you can make a journey more affordable. But uh, I think what uh, I and I think a lot of our partners are very excited about it are these new developments where um, things like insurance providers, employers can uh, be doing their part to try to um, make it easier for uh, queer men to get through a, a journey without having to break the bank just to start their family. You know, th- these are <laughs> unfortunately, th- these are the ways that um, we're able to form our family. It doesn't always come super easy uh, for gay men in particular. So you mentioned that the bill will not cover the surrogate aspect of a journey. Is that something that people are talking about? Do you see that as being a potential down the road of getting some of those costs covered as well? I have not personally seen many plans that cover the surrogate. Once pregnant, though, you can sometimes see where the surrogate's insurance will then cover her obstetrical care. And that, again, if that was that third piece, if a woman has a C-section, that can be a pretty expensive component of the cost. So I would say that that is where I see potentially more and more coverage is in the obstetrical care of the surrogate. The cost and the agency fee that creates that estimate of somewhere in the vicinity of $100,000 for the surrogate itself, um, that piece, I have not yet seen insurance have much of an advance in providing cost to benefit that. I mean, the hope is that will change. I think the things that we're seeing changing sooner potentially is the egg donor costs on the obstetrical care of the surrogate. Let's um, talk a little bit more about um, ways that other ways that you know of that we can reduce this cost. So again, insurance is the main topic here, and we're seeing it go uh, in, I think, a positive direction. I think we're all very hopeful that the governor will sign um, the bill, and maybe this is a good uh, call to action for those listening, especially if you're in Illinois, to write your governor, um, call the governor to to um, to try to get that signed into law. Uh, but apart from that, what can people do to reduce the costs of uh, of a surrogacy journey? In addition to advocacy, insurance coverage, there are some nonprofit organizations that do provide grants to be used towards egg donor or surrogates. There is one that I am a part of. It's called the Chicago Coalition for Family Building. Every year we give about five $10,000 grants for egg donors. We now have a unique grant unique to the entire cost of a gestational carrier. And we are very excited because we've been doing this for five years and we've really helped quite a few families. It is just a drop in the bucket, but we're not the only organization. There's probably about five to 10 of these throughout the country. The other one is Stork Foundation that I know helps in sort of the Chicagoland area. Cade Foundation, C-A-D-E, um, are some of the others. And so these nonprofits, this is another tool. Beyond the nonprofit and the insurance, unfortunately, some of the pieces becomes how to finance. And so whichever fertility clinic that you're utilizing, they should have someone dedicated to this to describe to you both if needed, if a loan is being considered, the different loan programs, how those work. Um, so that the idea behind all of this is that there's no surprises, that before you begin your treatment, eyes are wide open, like these feel like shocking numbers, but they shouldn't be when you're starting treatment. So you're, you're aware and this has been planned for. I think what can feel the most frustrating is to get to a different level of treatment and all of a sudden there's this unexpected cost. 
and that's again part of the range that you see. It's it's always really hard to get people to peg like a you know a specific number for an average cost in a journey because so many different things can happen to obviously uh, decrease or increase the costs. Um, and one other um, nonprofit that uh, we work with is uh, Men Having Babies, which also provides some grants. Um, but uh, so all of these options are really good. I didn't know actually of a couple of the ones that you mentioned, so I'll have to do some research into that. That's um, encouraging that there are more resources out there because I, I get you know I think there's at least an awareness a building awareness that this is important for uh is you know gay bi and trans men in particular um need this financial assistance um in order to start their families this way what what have you seen in terms of opposition to the law in illinois why is the governor still sitting on it as far as you know is it is it just administrative you know bureaucracy stuff or is there is there actually controversy around um whether this should become law i i'm unaware of why he's sitting on it i imagine given his stance overall, that it potentially is just logistic. Um, but the opposition within the Illinois sort of state legislation was about this idea that this will now increase cost to a state that there's no secret. Illinois has had issues of financing within its state for quite some time. Um, and this is a cost we as a state cannot take on. And I, I think the challenge with that, again, is that this medical cost is not that it's more than other medical costs. Um, any surgery that somebody has, these if you look at the actual price that a hospital charges your insurance, this is an extremely high number. So it's not that the cost is an issue, it's just it's not viewed as a medical benefit. Right, That's right. what we need to change is that perception, because it is medical care. No right. different than having your appendix removed. I did read that Governor Cuomo in New York um, directed the Department of Financial Services in that state to make sure that insurance companies are providing some sort of fertility benefits too. I'm not exactly sure where that's at right now, and that might maybe in the works as well. So, but again, this is a positive trend um, and one that I, you know, I, we all obviously hope continues. So, what would you say to someone that's in a different state that you know isn't Illinois or New York? <laughs> um, this may not be, you know, likely to happen soon. But like, how can people start advocating? Uh, for these changes in, in their state, wherever they happen to be. So I agree with you that it starts with the employer. So to simply inform your human resources, this is something that I desire or myself and my partner desire to do. And this is our out-of-pocket costs in other states and other places even within our state, some of these components can be covered. So I think it starts with the awareness. Uh, to your point, um, potentially companies are unaware of what they have opted out of and how that impacts their employees. I think potentially as someone is thinking of starting a job, these have become, in a sense, some part of sort of the benefit that helps you feel so maybe encouraged to go to one job versus the other. And potentially employers can start to use this as a tool to try to recruit people. So I think that's one way, both when you're getting your job and when you have a job. Um, I think in the, in the realm of our state legislation, it's calling your state representative, um, informing them that this is important highlighting the law in Illinois. There was an article in the Chicago Tribune featuring one of our physicians, Dr. Alvarez, that talked about this law in particular. Many of our patients shared their opinion as well. So that can be cited um, about, okay, the changes are happening elsewhere. How do we bring this here? It would be wonderful if this could happen at a federal level. I think given the state of our world, that seems pretty unlikely. So I think, you know, on our local level, we just can see, and we have in this realm of fertility and fertility coverage, we see better action when we start at a local level. I will say, if you're interested in trying to advocate in your own place of work, email us at dads at gayswithkids.com. We'd love to be a part of that journey and to help cover it and you know make bring awareness to uh, to these efforts all over all over the country. Um, so, lastly, I'll just so what do you see as being like the ultimate kind of goal in all of this advocacy? I would say the ultimate goal is access, and so to allow a greater number of people to have a family by making it less cost prohibitive. That is our overall goal. 
And so the things that already are covered just should be broader is the diagnostic piece, um, is the egg donor piece. There's already established sort of norms for that. So I think that is already occurring and it'll be more likely to occur. I think bringing under the umbrella sort of the legal piece would be nice because that's an extra cost savings. I think bringing under the umbrella the obstetrical care, which starts the moment she is pregnant for the surrogate. So if somebody has, God forbid, a miscarriage, we don't, I mean, there's the emotional piece of, of loss, but there can actually be the financial piece of loss if she did not have obstetrical care and she's choosing to have a procedure for the miscarriage. And so making it sort of mandated that the obstetrical care that they have includes the obstetrical care of a surrogate. So I think that is like the low lying fruit when we build beyond some of the challenges of the cost of the surrogate is identifying a surrogate. Um, and so finding ways that that is streamlined because those costs can vary so dramatically um, from agency to agency, from state to state, from region of the country to region of the country. And so finding ways to streamline that process ultimately I think would drive down costs. And so potentially for insurance or some entity to get involved in that capacity so that there could be a greater way to identify surrogates to screen surrogates so that the cost piece would go down in identifying. I think those are the sort of, in my mind, the, the easiest things to think of to make a more substantial difference. Um, your piece about compensation to a surrogate it is, is a gift that somebody does. Every single surrogate I've ever worked with, there is an altruistic nature to do this. And yes, somebody, of course, it is um, to be compensated for, but to find a way that that compensation isn't entirely the responsibility of the intended parent. You know that we will be continuing to um, cover not just the law in Illinois and, see, and to see how that goes and its implications, um, again, assuming it's uh, signed into law, but just generally across the country. It's a very exciting area of development, I think, in this world. So it's uh, thank you for helping break it down. Anything else you want to add just as a last note? I think the last thing that I would add is really this idea that the power in numbers. So it is helpful Absolutely. to go to some of human resources because there's some. it feels good to do feel like you did something. But at the end of the day, if we really want to make change, it can't really hard for it to be one-on-one. -on -one. And so this is why your organization, so Gays with Kids or Men Having Babies or Resolve, because they create these umbrellas where there's larger groups of people in focused right. areas, and that's how we create ultimately change. And so I, I think it is this idea that it is helpful to start, but you want to be a part of something larger than yourself so that you can actually have concrete change. And again, yeah, if you are interested in, in uh, us covering your story, if you're looking to do this at your own place of work, please do reach out to us. We would love to we'd love to cover it. Um, Dr. Hirschfeld Citron, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, we'll see you in a future podcast. Yes, thank you for your time.